This episode of Walter Edgar's Journal is an encore of a previously broadcast program. With me in the studio today is Dan Huntley, uh, based out of Rock Hill. And in terms of the history of Walter Edgar's Journal, Dan was one of the very first guests we had on the program back in 2001 when we were doing it live and taking call-ins. And we did barbecue, and the resulting telephone calls just about melted the phone lines into uh, our headquarters here on Bluff Road. And that's because I happened to criticize North Carolina barbecue. And the folks across the state line took great offense. And I was even told not to travel in the state without highway patrol protection. (laughs) And I stand by the fact that I think our barbecue is far, far better. But anyway... Dan, first of all, it's great to have you back on the journal. And we've got Dan here not just because he's a barbecue aficionado, but because he's come out with an interesting new book called Extreme Barbecue. Now, folks might pick it up because they look at the subtitle, Smoking Rigs and Real Good Recipes. So was your first emphasis here on the method as opposed to what was being cooked? Uh, yeah, Walter, uh, the the original title that we had was uh, Contraption Cuisine, oh. which is uh, kind of a wider umbrella of the type of uh, rigs. Um, but I've been doing competitive barbecue. It started in the early 90s. And, you know, as a reporter, one of the things that um, I began to notice were the rigs mm-hmm. that the people uh, cooked on. And... Um, and how unique they were as you, you know, went to Kansas City or Memphis or, you know, down in Georgia. And they they varied, uh, and they were usually the ones that I was intrigued with uh, were the homemade uh, Walter Mitty-type mm-hmm. uh, rigs out of 55-gallon barrels, old um, uh, oil drums. Um, I've had them out of trash cans. I've seen guys you know, cook whole hogs on metal bed springs, and some of it's novelty, but there was a kind of a method to their madness. I began to see certain rigs, you know, drums to to hold the smoke in and things like that, and I became intrigued with it. Well, in fact, that there's a there's a team out of Calhoun County, a bunch of young fellows who uh, use the, the trunk of an old Ford Fairlane, you know, the yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's their barbecue. Oh, yeah. In Memphis in May, uh, they um, I, I first began to see the cars. Uh, the weirder uh, rig I saw up in Tryon, North Carolina one time, a guy made a, a smoker out of a Kosovo phone booth. And uh, <laughs> and supposedly, it, you know, he said if he plugged it in to Kosovo, it could still work. But it was kind of a, a silly rig uh, to me uh, that... But, you know, the criteria that I use on it is how does it taste on the tongue? I mean, you could mm-hmm. have, you could be smoking out of a Sherman tank and have the smoke coming out the uh, barrel. Uh, but, you know, if it doesn't taste any good, what, what's the point? Well, speaking of Sherman tanks, you've got quite a rig yourself. Yeah, yeah. We, we call it the Sherman tank. And uh, that's ma- probably my third generation uh, cooker. My uh, father-in-law um, works in a steel uh, mill in uh, York County, and uh, he salvages scrapyards and um, made that rig for me. I'm cooking on it this weekend. And how large is your rig? Just describe mm, it. It's uh, probably uh, 20 by 10 on a uh, trailer with, um, you know, it's a single axle and probably weighs 2,000 pounds. And yep. uh, and you've actually got two, you've got a double, if I remember rightly. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a, Double a separate firebox uh, off so we can put the wood in there and then just kind of do a cold or a slow smoke uh, dragging the uh, smoke across mm-hmm. the meat. When I do, you know, I do a whole salmon or something like that on it, mm-hmm. and you don't want the intense heat. Well, interesting you, you mentioned you judge the taste, not how um, the cooker looks. Mm-hmm. Two years ago, I was ju- I was judging at the um, smoke-off down at Myrtle Beach, and the fellow who won just frankly had an old-fashioned backyard grill. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he produced the best, and, you know, all these fancy cookers, and nobody's nobody could beat him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the guys that uh, we uh, talked to for the book, uh, his last name is Close. He does Close Cookers, K-L-O-S-E, uh, Cookers in Texas. Big $40,000, $50,000 rigs and stuff like that. We are talking to him, and... Uh, asked him about, you know, the 
you know, connection between, you know, money and these rigs. And he said that it's all in your uh, head and your heart. You know, if you understand smoke and you understand meat, uh, you should be able to take your boot heel and, and scratch out a hole in the ground and put your coals in there and put a grill over it, and you should be able to um, cook. I mean, they can cook. And I've certainly been in competitions. I remember one time uh, in York County where a guy had a $35,000, looked like a mobile home smoker, you know, to me. <laughs> and he, uh, and the guys that won it, uh, had a group of lawyers had gotten drunk and fallen asleep and their pig caught on fire. And they had a jerk rub on it and, you know, they scraped it off and they won. You know, and the guy with the big rig was so angry, which was a commercial operation. He said, these are a bunch of rank amateurs, you know, and he just took off, took his pig with him and everything <laughs> and uh, right after the uh, judging ceremony. And so it, it there's, um, again, it doesn't, uh, there's kind of a magic in the grill, but you, you have to have a, a grill meister, somebody that understands Constantly, you can have fun, you can drink, you can go to sleep, you can do about anything you want to, but you've got to know what your fire is doing and what your meat is doing at, at most any time. This is Walter Edgar's Journal, and I'm talking with Dan Huntley about his new book, Extreme Barbecue. When did you get the idea for this book? Uh, I was on a uh, fellowship at the uh, University of Michigan, um, a year long. Um, a sabbatical in 2002-2003, and the uh, director of our program um, uh, took us down to um, uh, Buenos Aires um, for about two and a half weeks. And while we were there, um, we uh, he's, he loves grilled meats, and um, we went to these Perea grills they have in downtown Buenos Aires where they have these big fire pits and these really fancy restaurants, and they cook their beef on the perimeter of these um, uh, fire pits on these big skewers that look like, they kind of look like crucifixes, and they do the whole animals, but it, as opposed to having the meat over the fire mm -hmm. like we do here, it's a kind of a dry roast. And I became uh, fascinated with uh, this type of grilling. Uh, we went out to some of the estancias, the uh, ranches there, uh, with the gauchos and, you know, nobody grills their meat directly over the fire like we do. Mm -hmm. It's all off to the side. And then I came back and I started reading about, you know, uh, Native Americans in uh, the Pacific Northwest and Alaska who do their salmon that way. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about, you know, God, that's kind of interesting. You know, there's no connection between the Native Americans and the gauchos. This you know, derive somehow, and then I began to think about the different types of uh, cooking methods around the country, and um, our director of the program, Charles Eisendrath, uh, challenged us uh, to, um, while we were there, to either uh, write a book or to get a patent or learn how to dance. <laughs> and how's your shagging? Yeah, no, no. We, we, I learned to tango <laughs> and uh, Buenos. Uh, uh, I'm not much of a, a shagger, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to admit. Okay. Well, you, you mentioned that by the side of the fire. Actually, you can go to Brattonsville and get something very similar to that one, historic Brattonsville. Right, right. The way they cook chicken mm -hmm. uh, away from the fire as opposed to on a spit over the fire. Right. In fact, one of the uh, photos we have in here is from uh, historic Brattonsville where they, um, one of the uh, contraptions, you know, they, they can be $50,000 rigs or I remember a historian was telling me, he says, how about if I told you I could uh, cook a whole chicken on a piece of string? And I said, show me. And what they did was, um, it was a, um, a reenactor there at Brightonsville. She took a piece of string, uh, soaked it in water, trussed a whole chicken, uh, had a nail over the mantle on a fireplace, and then stuck it there, uh, you know, about a foot off the ground, hanging. And then she had a pan underneath it, and she looked at me, and she says, uh, you know it's going to be raw on one side and burn on the other side. And I said, yeah. And she said, watch this. And she spun it. And, you know, it rotates about every 10 minutes. She would spin it again. And it was a real, uh, you know, simple method, but I began to understand about this 
think about contraptions and cooking contraptions in a different way. And uh, uh, another uh, cooker showed me this ingenious uh, rig that uh, we've got in the book where blacksmiths in the 18th century would take a spoon and they would extend the handle all the way around to a a fork Mm -hmm. that would be over the spoon. They'd set it in front of the fireplace and they'd put a quail on it. And, you know, it would drip into the bottom of the spoon, mm-hmm. rotate it around. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what uh, the book is really about. I mean, we, we the publishers uh, called it uh, Extreme Barbecue. Uh, some people uh, would think with a title like that, it means really hot barbecue mm-hmm. or something like that. And what I meant uh, was just kind of to, to open up the, uh, the tent of uh, a barbecue to all these different types of uh, rigs. I mean, in Seattle, we went out to the uh, San Juan Islands, and, uh, um, you know, Native Americans there were uh, cooking these uh, whole salmon that they were catching on these kind of like snowshoe rigs Mm -hmm. and spreading them around the perimeter of the fire. And they said, barbecued salmon, you know, get it here. (laughs) (laughs) And and I got to thinking about, you know, that's, that's not barbecue. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, to these people, you know, my barbecue is not barbecue. And then I began to understand that to them, you know, barbecue was uh, synonymous with, with smoke and didn't have to be pork. And when you decided to do it, because you traveled all over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We did uh, close to 30,000 miles. Um, we took all the book advance and spent it all on travel. We didn't, I haven't been paid a nickel for my labor uh, mm-hmm. to do the uh, um, book. Well, but you got a book. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. You got a uh, book. We're uh, d- uh, the uh, my my agent's talking to the uh, a publisher about uh, doing a uh, sequel to this, and uh, doing the uh, Extreme Barbecue, the foreign edition, and uh, going uh, to uh, Central America and South America, uh, where it's almost exclusively uh, contraption cuisine, uh, cooking on uh, outdoor rigs that are made out of you know, uh, tire rims, and uh, there's a place in Mexico a guy was telling me about the other day that uh, it's at a big uh, used auto place, and all the vendors cook on car parts. And I said, what do you mean? They said, like, car hoods, they put them over the fire, they use hubcaps, they use uh, all parts, and it's kind of a novelty, but it's, you know, it's good food. Well, of course, in the Caribbean, besides using the oil oil drums for... uh, uh, steel bands they use right. them, use them for as cooking. Oh yeah, exactly. Uh, the first uh, rigs uh, when I first got out of college, uh, I worked in uh, Grand Cayman on a uh, lobster boat down there, and the first um, uh, smoked fish I ever had were uh, off of the fifty-five gallon barrels down there, and it was it was like nothing I'd ever tasted before. There was no real tradition that I was familiar with, uh, particularly with um, uh, oil-based fish, mackerel and things like that, Mm -hmm. where they smoke them all the time. And it's there, it's not so much flavoring or aesthetics, it's, um, you know, for preservation. Mm -hmm. Well, you you broke this up into different segments of the country, Mm -hmm. um, but you've you've obviously got one in the south and the southeast, Mm -hmm. um, which... I honed in on. Mm-hmm. Um, they can do whatever they want to up in Michigan. That's fine. Right. Um, but how we do it down here, I think, is important. And you had two intriguing cookers. Mm-hmm. One was the young girl scouts. Yeah. <laughs> making Which a is co- kind make, of a stretch. <laughs> making a cooker out of a cardboard box and aluminum foil. Yeah. And the other was the aboriginal expert from North Carolina who was cooking on a number 10 tin can. Right, right. Hobo he was style. great. I love that. I ate it. Uh, I, I ate the, uh, uh, he's, he's a fascinating guy that uh, was a uh, technical consultant on the uh, Tom Hanks uh, movie, what was it called? Uh, uh, Castaway or whatever yeah. it was. And he's the guy that came up with the uh, the soccer uh, ball with a face on it and stuff like that uh, that they uh, uh, used in the uh, rig. But he's he's uh, not a survivalist, but he he's uh, very uh, tuned to primitive technologies and how you know. To me, uh, what he was talking about in the book was this hobo cookery, which was 
guys uh, in the 20s and 30s that were just kind of living by their wits uh, in these hobo camps and how they would cook. And I was just fascinated with the um, taking a number 10 can and basically uh, uh, in 10 minutes with a can opener, um, he had a fire going and was frying bacon, um, uh, frying an egg, and we ate it. Um, and he didn't have a single implement. I mean, he had a, a stick that he uh, cut off of a tree mm -hmm. to turn it with, you know. You feature a number of people in South Carolina, mm -hmm. and I, I think uh, probably the most elaborate rig, of course, is Jimmy Haygood's down in Charleston. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to be uh, cooking with uh, Jimmy in uh, Manhattan. What's the occasion? Uh, the Big Apple Barbecue. They're going to bring in uh, 20 barbecue teams from around the country, serve 100,000 people. Uh, it's down near Madison Square Garden. And um, Jimmy, uh, I'm going to serve on a team with him. How many people? How many Pigs y'all going to cook? Um, I'm not sure. We're supposed to serve about 400 sandwiches, mm. and they uh, supply the meat, and we cook it up, and uh, it's fun. Mm. Uh, you'd never think about uh, barbecue in uh, New York City, but uh, um, I've had some uh, decent uh, stuff up there. Well, a lot of expatriate South Carolinians and Southerners ev everywhere. Right, right. Uh, I, one of the big problems up there was uh, what do they do with the smoke? And they had all sorts of anti-pollution controls and stuff. And uh, the folks at uh, Danny Myers uh, Blue Smoke uh, came up with a, a scrubber where they can actually use real smoke there, and they just got it vented out of there. And uh, it's uh, you know, I will say that it's better than Carolina barbecue, but it's it's it, it ain't bad. Hmm. It's better than a lot of the store-bought barbecue I've had in the Carolinas. Um, store-bought. Yeah. yeah, commercial. Commercial. Yeah, you're never. My, my I'm I'm biased. I I maintain that uh, true barbecue uh, cannot be franchised uh, because you if you do, it's just so labor labor intensive that you begin to cut corners instead of using uh, uh, hickory coals. You're going to use gas. You know, you're going to use liquid smoke. You're going to speed up the process mm -hmm. instead of cooking it at 200 degrees all night. Mm -hmm. You just jack it up and. Uh, it's just it's not conducive to um, uh, my my sense of uh, hand pulled uh, mm -hmm. slow cooked pork. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't make money on it. It's like trying to make money off art or something. Mm -hmm. Which is why the the old timey places are usually open only on Thursday and Fridays. Yeah, we were just talking about that uh, um, because they have real jobs the rest <laughs> of the week. And uh, Sweatman's uh, Barbecue is uh, like that, and that's one of my favorite uh, barbecue joints. Mm -hmm. Well, we've, we've, we've all got our, our favorites. Um, yeah. Mine is McCabe's. I've been on the record for that down in in, uh, in Manning. Of course, my friends over in Williamsburg say that I forget about Browns. They can't possibly think that I would forget about oh, wow. about Browns. But they're, they're good barbecue places all, all over the state. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Poe Pig's here in Columbia is very, very good. In fact, it's it was the first restaurant in the state to get uh, five stars from the SC Barbecue Association. Oh, really? Oh, wow. I'll have to uh, so. uh, try that. Uh, uh, in the old days, uh, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day. Uh, I, they were talking about where all the old-timey barbecue joints go. Heck, I think there's more barbecue joints around than there ever was. Mm -hmm. uh, I think their uh, good ones are hard to find. Well, in, a play, in, a, in the rural counties, you just got to know the folks because yeah, yeah. it's frequently not a store, but you'll know that um, so-and-so barbecues or he cooks right. on Thursday night or Friday night, you know, and y'all come and you may pay three or five dollars, whatever it is, and you get, right. get what's there, but you got to know where it is. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there's some, uh, uh, I was talking earlier about, you know, one of the tricks I've learned about traveling around uh, looking for barbecue joints is the um, crappier the uh, parking lot, the better the queue, mm -hmm. uh, because... They, their emphasis, their focus is on the uh, smokehouse. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're kind of messy places sometimes and keep irregular hours and uh, whatnot. Uh, when we have traveled, my wife used to uh, invoke the uh, what she called the 45-minute barbecue rule, which was when we were going someplace, we could only get off the interstate for 45 minutes in one direction because beyond that, there's a high likelihood that when it was closed, 
too. It's out of business. <laughs> and uh, we would spend two hours out in the middle of nowhere. But, uh, you know, if you, if you know a, a, a good place, um, um, you know, spread the word, you know. And, and now there's, there's pretty, you know, particularly with the Internet, you can find out about uh, good uh, old-timey uh, barbecue joints out in the country. And with people like the Lee Brothers promoting Southern cuisine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's one of the uh, – uh, I'm really excited about their uh, book. Um, I think they're going to be at the uh, thing we're doing at the Big Apple. Uh, I think there are lectures up there, but uh, that's one of the best uh, cookbooks. It's just not a Southern cookbook. It's one of the best cookbooks I've seen in decades. Well, we had them on the show earlier the, in the year and, and for the second time – uh, before they became famous and after they became yeah, famous. Right, right. But they were part of uh, uh, an expatriate crowd living in New York City, and that's actually how we had a, had a run of those uh, mm-hmm. young men and women who uh, may have lived in the in the heart of Gotham, but they could not forget the fact that they had South Carolina connections. And, oh, wow. And that's how it all began. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I did a, uh, a story down in New Orleans one time and ran into uh, Charles Corralt, and we had actually, uh, um, he's older than I am, uh, but we had actually gone to the uh, same elementary school in Charlotte. And uh, and I was kidding him about living in New York City, what he missed most. And uh, that's what he said. He says, I miss Carolina barbecue because you just can't get it up up there at the time. And he was telling me about a, there's a North Carolina society mm-hmm. of expatriates mm-hmm. uh, there in New York City. And uh, they would frequently... Uh, uh, bring somebody, if they could get their whole hog across the state lines to get it up to New York to cook for them. Mm-hmm. And I was going, mm, I'd like to go to that party. Well, the South Carolina Society in Washington has done that on a, on a number of occasions. Oh, wow, great. Yeah. Uh, oh, they do think they'll, they'll have a, uh, a shrimp boil or you call it frogmore stew or Beaufort stew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Certainly barbecue. Oh, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't get away from where you're from. Right. <laughs> now, when I said you, you're using barbecue in your book as a verb, because you talk about everything being cooked, not just meat, not just pork, right? Or I'll take a deep breath, beef, because I've seen your <laughs> your article where you said, and the headline is "Beef Barbecue." I'm, I'm quoting now. All right, beef oh barbecue my. ain't bad. No bull. Parentheses. Pork loyalist warms up to brisket. Close yeah. parentheses by Dan Huntley. Yeah. Uh, and you're rethinking the primacy of the pig. Hmm. Boy, uh, you got me on that one. Well, doing research, yeah. You're you're a journalist, you know. Uh, yeah, no, I, I I have no bones about it. I'm doing a book signing at my um, my pig palace, and one of the things that uh, I'm cooking is beef brisket because it surprises people around here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, you go to a place like Austin, Texas, or Kansas City, you. You see the the universality of uh, barbecue, and and when I go in a place like Kansas City, um, and I go to a place like Arthur Bryant's or uh, Oklahoma Joe's or something like that, it's not so much a, a Midwestern thing, but I I see I taste the influence of of African Americans from the uh, Delta that um, part of their migration going to the uh, Detroit area, mm-hmm. coming through uh, Kansas City, all of that. Uh, and it's, you know, there's pork connections there, but they it's more of a what I refer to as the barbecue universe. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's ethnocentrism that we have here in the Carolinas, that uh, it's just it has to be pork. Uh, well, but it, well, it, it it can be chicken. It can be chicken. But see, you you throw in um, fish and oysters. I used to think that way too, Walter. When I said you you're using barbecue in your book as a verb, because you talk about everything being cooked, not just meat, not just pork. You go to a place like Austin, Texas, or Kansas City. You 
you see the the universality of uh, barbecue. And before I got out on the road and I, I started seeing these places and tasting it. And You're blushing, Dan. <laughs> that is uh, with the uh, uh, the barbecue that, that we just don't have a, um, the patent on barbecue. Oh, I, oh I, I understand that we don't have the patent on barbecue, but I'm not sure that when people talk about barbecuing zucchini and things like that, that... Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh oh. I mean, if if you smoke <laughs> zucchini and you have barbecue sauce on it, uh, and you're a vegetarian, I mean, is is that's uh, uh, I have a, a good friend and uh, who's from Texas uh, who um, uh, is a vegetarian, uh, works in New York, and he puts it on uh, uh, roasted corn. And well, that I that, that I can see those I can see those flavors going together. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's uh, to me it, it it's. Uh, um, again, I you know we I, I respectfully I disagree with you on that. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, I've been to oyster roast. I enjoy oyster roast. I just don't consider that barbecue. Yeah, well, I don't technically uh, consider it uh, barbecue uh, uh, oysters, but you know, folks in Napa Valley and other places uh, when they they do the oysters on the half shell on the grill and they they sauce them up, that's what they call them. Mm-hmm. I gotta ask every author this. Okay. In the southeast portion, what is your most unusual rig you want to talk about? Hmm. Uh, I guess the uh, one of my favorites uh, is in uh, Blacksburg uh, with the um, guys that do their oyster roast uh, in trash cans, the Whitener Brothers, and uh, you know. The first time I went out there to see them, I was with some people, and they said, we ain't eating nothing out of no trash cans. And they uh, they use new galvanized uh, uh, trash cans. They put a, a um, cinder block down on the bottom, put a couple gallons of water, take a gunny sack of oysters, put them in there, have it under a burner, and uh, put the lid on it, and mm. it works great. You can do a great volume mm. of... Uh, of um, uh, oysters that way, and uh, they, uh, the first time I, I went to see these guys, and you see about six or seven trash cans with smoke coming out of the tops of them, actually a steam, and it looks like a uh, amateur uh, rocket launch or something, you know, and uh, and to me, to me, that that's kind of the classic example of uh, contraption cooking. Well, you know, a lot of guys that the barbecue, I'm assuming the oyster roast I've been to use not the trash cans, but they use the big, I guess, what, about a fifth, about a 25-gallon pot, 20-gallon pot? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. either stainless steel or aluminum right, right. And, and use the burner under sure, sure. under that a little bit. But same principle. Same thing. Instead of putting the oysters on a, as some people do, on a metal sheet. Right, right. I, I like the uh, kind of minimalist um, uh, approach to doing oysters and and, you know, here in the Carolinas with oysters, uh, you know, I mean, does it get any simpler than a, a sheet of uh, uh, tin roofing over um, cinder blocks mm-hmm. to roast oysters? I mean, yeah. you know, and it, one of the things that you told me back, um, you know, God, 12, 15 years ago was that this type of cooking was not something you do in isolation. Mm-hmm. It's a communal celebration. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's that's the kicker here. You know, you know, I'm not, you're not going to go out and go to a elaborate means on a Saturday afternoon to cook a meal for yourself that's going to take three or four hours on some crazy rig. You do it, you know, you don't sell the steak, you sell the sizzle. It's part of the, the mm-hmm. show. And people are standing around, they're drinking their favorite ice beverage, and they're outside, and it's a communal celebration. Oh, yeah. Okay, you picked out your favorite rig. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite recipe? I mean, you've even got Italian stuff in here. Yeah, for God's yeah, sakes. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was kind of a crazy thing. I think we were in Houston, and these guys uh, what, were cooking what, what, on this rig. What page are you on? Uh, I'm on uh, one sixty. Okay. And it's and they said, here, try these uh, armadillo eggs. And you know, I'm not from Texas. I, you know, I didn't get it. You know, I, for all I knew, armadillos had eggs. You know, <laughs> and uh, they he handed me this thing that kind of looked like a 
it was a smoked, it looked like a kind of a deflated uh, football. And you take a jalapeno pepper and you slice it open and you stuff it with uh, cream cheese. But you, you, you take, you seed it, right? You get rid yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, right. You do have to do that. And then you put uh, cream cheese, and actually uh, what he put uh, in his that day was uh, he, put, he uh, used uh, crab meat. And then he uh, took uh, uh, ground pork sausage, and you uh, uh, do it in like a ball, and you put the uh, um, uh, jalapeno pepper inside of it, and you wrap so it around it. Okay, this is just like you talk about scotch eggs. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's exactly okay. what it is. And you, you, you smoke it, uh, you fry it. And you let it cool, and then you uh, slice it, and so you get some of the um, the sausage and the uh, pepper and cream cheese and crab meat. It was excellent uh, dish. I'd never heard of it before, mm. and uh, that's I'll do that uh, this weekend uh, for some people just to do something uh, different that they've never uh, seen or uh, tasted. So you're pr- you're pretty adventurous when it comes to eating, then. Yeah, I am. I, I like uh, I like uh, you know uh, I like to do what the locals do, and. Uh, I love the, in Texas, some of the uh, smokehouses. There's this place called Kreutz's, which is south of Austin. And first time I went in there, um, you know, they, they serve you. You can get sausage. You can get brisket. You can get chicken. You can get, and they serve it to you on uh, butcher paper. And then their, their sides are, they'll give you an avocado. <laughs> and and they'll give you uh, some pickled relish or something like that. And there's a big sign on the uh, side of the wall that says, no forks. And, you know, it was, it, it, odd as it sounds, you know, here in your studio, it worked. I never would have ever thought about, uh, but they had pico de gallo and things like that. And well, okay, had, how, how do you, how do you? You eat the avocado like an apple, or do you do you peel it, or how did you do? Well, that? I had a knife with me, oh. <laughs> and uh, and I and I, uh, I cut it and had it on the uh, side. But it was just like to me, it's everybody. And you drank Dr. Peppers. I think Dr. Peppers were started there, or something, or in that area, or something. And it just it just made perfect sense. Everybody was uh, eating it on the uh, butcher paper, and it was one of the most delightful barbecue meals I've ever had. And I went back and talked to the guy. He had a whole yard full of uh, uh, mesquite that he smoked it on, and he had these huge cookers that looked like they could have just as easily been made in South Carolina, and he really understood uh, smoking meat. Okay, so when you're talking about smoking meat, I'm glad you, you mentioned that, because <laughs> the, big, the big debate in a lot of barbecue circles is the meat can be done just as well using gas cookers as opposed to... Over here, we'd say hard hickory or yeah, baloney. No, no, that's that's the uh, the gas lobbyist. Does not work, okay. cannot work. Okay. Uh, and I've certainly, uh, I used to have a gas grill. <gasps> yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't have a gas grill anymore. And you can, you know, take some wet hickory and wrap it up in tinfoil like a cigar and poke holes in it and put it in your gas deal. It ain't the real deal. Uh, and and you know. I have a friend, he talks about, you know, with barbecue and just the, you know, how insane it can get with smoke and stuff like that. He would only smoke, I mean, he would only soak his hickory chips in Merlot. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, and then he was trying to explain to me that he could tell the difference between a a Beaujolais and a Merlot soak. And I I just said, you're crazy. You need to be drinking the wine, not smoking your (laughs) wine like that. And it, and I began to really understand that I mean you know some I, I like artesian charcoal the natural so-called natural charcoal I've been in Greece where they actually make the charcoal mm. I like that process I like the aesthetics of it but when it gets right down to it Kingsford charcoal mm-hmm. you know I don't care if it is uh, made uh, you know. Uh, you know, uh, with uh, uh, as a commercial product with additives and stuff like that, you just can't beat that. And I've burned, I've made my own charcoal, I've done all that stuff. It just you, you I'm not a charcoal maker. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to smoke meat, and you know, if you want to have the real taste, uh, you just can't achieve it on a gas grill. This is Walter Edgar's journal, and I'm talking with Dan Huntley about his new book, Extreme Barbecue. 
All right, let's talk about promotion of, of your book um, and actually production of your book. Did these folks come to you with the idea, or did you pitch, pitch it to the publisher? Uh, we pitched it. I uh, went to New York and uh, found an agent, and uh, she uh, shopped it around the uh, country. And uh, a couple of the uh, publishers, you know, as an author, I'm sure you've heard this, uh, you come up with an idea for a book, and everybody uh, and his brother says, uh, man, that's a great, great story idea, you know, I just love that, you know, but then, you know, that doesn't do anything, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you get that all, I, I, I was getting it all right and left, but nobody was coming up with any kind of projects, I had written a, a novel, I'd had a dozen short stories published, and, uh, you know, just, I was making the money off of it, uh, you know, I'm not going to leave my day job as a, uh, as a newspaper reporter, uh, and, you know, several people just said, well, why don't you write about what you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I said, well, you know, that's easy for you to say, you know. And uh, they said, no, you're, you're always doing this barbecue stuff. Why don't you write about that? And I said, well, I'm not really interested in competition barbecue to write about. There's a lot of mm -hmm. people who have written about things like that. And they said, well, find you a niche. And, uh, and the niche was not so much the, uh, um, you know, the, the championship barbecue or the restaurant barbecue, but it was like these backyard guys, the, these contraptionists, I call them. And got the agent, and again, uh, several publishers said, you know, why don't you just write about, you know, there in the Carolinas and, you know. And I and it, I was really interested, The uh, my co-author, uh, Lisa uh, Ledneiser, is with a Portland, Oregonian, and... Uh, uh, she was, you know, suggesting uh, that we we ex we expand it a well, little more where, diversity. Where did, you, where did you meet up with, through your sabbatical? She was at the fellowship okay. uh, with me uh, during that uh, year, and uh, um, I think left to my own designs, uh, it would have probably been a book about uh, middle-aged uh, white Southern male cooking. Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, Lisa and the uh, publisher in San Francisco said, you know, we need to have a, a reason to, uh, why would someone in Los Angeles or, you know, Seattle buy your book? And it was a matter of, let's get some uh, geographic, ethnic uh, diversity in here mm -hmm. and see what's out there. And and it, and at first it, it seemed a little forced to me because most of the cookers that I knew uh, growing up here in the Carolinas were like me. But, you know, you go to Texas and you run into, like, uh, you know, black Latino cowboys mm -hmm. who, like, do barbacoa and they cook cow heads underground and stuff. And mm -hmm. it just, like, it kind of blew my mind about, mm -hmm. you know, this, is, this ain't nothing like I've ever seen before. And, but, you know, barbacoa, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's uh, you know, they've been doing a lot longer than then my family's been doing pigs, you know, so how could I say that this was not uh, barbecue? And then ran into a African-American woman in Kansas City um, who uh, took 55-gallon barrels and welded them to shopping carts uh, and uh, did these incredible uh, um, smoked chicken, great rigs, uh, you know, on a $100 um, set up and she on the on the uh uh outside of these rigs she would paint these wild kind of caribbean spirit faces on them and uh to me it's just like i became liberated with my barbecue at that point okay well i guess i'm unliberated at this point <laughs> i still say barbecue's a uh a, a noun and um it's mostly a noun you know not that i you know i have I had smoked oysters i've had smoked salmon and uh, yeah. um but when I'm on a barbecue, I'm talking about pork and maybe chicken. But but you but you you know when you, you even talk about Frogmore stew, you can you consider making some of those stews as being barbecue or mm. beans, New England baking beans below the ground. I mean they're in your book. Yeah, yeah. Well, now the uh, uh, cooking beans uh, 24 hours under uh, uh, ground uh, with a huge fire. Uh, that was that was extreme barbecue to me. Again, it, it's interesting as a historian, you would uh, appreciate this. Uh, the tradition of bean hole uh, suppers 
started during the Puritan days where they couldn't work on Sunday. Mm. So they would build the fire in the pit and they would take like a, a big uh, ca- cast iron wash pot, put the beans in there uh, on Saturday evening, uh, cover them up and uh, would take them out after the Sunday afternoon services mm. and eat them. And uh, again, uh, when you talk to these people, uh, and again, uh, you know, we've been smoking uh, pork for a long time in this country, but there's lots of other open fire uh, and even closed fire um, pits uh, that has a um, – part of that pantheon, you mm-hmm. know, to me. I mean, again, I mean, where would you put uh, – uh, a, a guy that would take uh, a cow head and stuff it with peppers and wrap it in tinfoil and bury it in a pit uh, 24 hours. What, what would you call that, Walter? Not anything's going on my plate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, look, I, I have eaten other forms of, uh, you know, like head cheese and scrapple yeah. and, and that sort mm-hmm. of thing, but uh, not necessarily my if the eyes got to look back at me, I don't want it. Yeah, all right, all right. Well, uh, some people uh, have told me that they want their f- their food to have a face. <laughs> <laughs> different strokes for different folks. <laughs> um, Although it, it's funny when we do uh, um, whole hogs, uh, I, I for, sometimes I forget about with little kids when they come mm-hmm. through and, you know, the parents will hold them up to mm-hmm. the grill and stuff like that to see the uh, rigs and, uh, the first time a kid sees uh, a hog and the eyes and the teeth and stuff like that uh, kind of freaks them out. Uh, so we've we've started uh, sometimes with, when I know that we've got a younger crowd, I'll put some uh, Wayfair sunglasses on my pig and put some Mardi Gras beads around them, kind of you know, kind of soften the image there a little bit. The, the heat doesn't me- doesn't mess up the. Well, at that point, uh, the smoking's over. Uh, oh. This is just for the show for oh. the, the public and stuff like that. One of the, uh, I'll have to tell you one of my tricks uh, when we're doing uh, uh, barbecue, uh, I learned uh, from catering is that, uh, you know, you can have your meat, you know, you cook it the night before essentially and you're waiting for the public to come in there and you'll have it wrapped in foil to keep it moist and stuff like that. But when people are start walking through the woods to get to your place or wherever it is, I always throw some wet hickory onto the fire at that point. Uh, because it's like a Pavlovian dog response, you know, they, they smell that smoke. But at that point, it can't do anything for your meat because it's all wrapped up, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, uh, when, a, when I, a friend of mine was doing that one time, I said, well, what, what are you doing? That, that's ridiculous. It's just wasting your wood. And he says, no, it ain't. <laughs> because, you know, your uh, guest, they uh, eat, uh, you know, there's an old saying, they eat twice, once with their eyes and then with their stomach, you know. Mm-hmm. I say that they, uh, the smells uh, draw them in as well, and, you know, and, and it's part of the, the show. I mean, if you're cooking outdoors. Well, think about going to the state fair. What's the one thing you always smell at the state fair? Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly, where it just comes wafting out. That smoke comes wafting out. Well, that out. or they, they usually put onions on the. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly, right, right. And, and for fact, the sausages and yeah, all that stuff. I had a, I had a friend who uh, did the carny circuit in the summer as his summer job, and he said up, up in the Midwest, and he said that was first thing they were told that they cook every day was they cook onions and you have that odor of cooked onions emanating even though I've forgotten they were selling funnel cakes or something but they that was what got people's attention sure sure it draws them uh, in uh, I was at a, a, a gathering in Kings Mountain this past weekend and we it was right at dusk and on Friday uh, evening and you could just see that smoke kind of hovering around mm-hmm. in this little valley where all the guys mm-hmm. were and I mean I was, you know, I was electrified. You know, I hadn't been around the smoke in several uh, months, and uh, um, it gets me excited. You know, I want it because it's not so much the meat as much as it is the, the, as you refer to as the communal celebration, the gathering. It's, it's, it's fascinating to me, and it, and it cuts across, you know, geography, you know, gender, uh, politics, all sorts of stuff, and it's just, and it's the, it's the fun, it's the, uh, it's the, the gathering of people. Uh, uh, and again, you're the guy that, that put me onto this stuff. When you said barbecue is not something one does in isolation, that's right. And no one had ever said that to me, and I just said that's it. 
you know, and it's it's that gathering, and it's it's not like uh, you know having a a cup of coffee and a donut uh, in your your car in the rain or something like that. I mean, you're outdoors. It's nice, uh, and you know people are. It's it's not at work. It's it's on the weekend. It's uh, it's a milestone in the family. You know, a wedding. It's a birth. It's a graduation. Something like that. And and you know, you go to New Guinea. You go to Hawaii. I mean, wh- what do they do to celebrate weddings? Mm-hmm. I mean, they do luau, roast a pig. Yeah, exactly. Well, ha- have you have you noticed in in some contemporary restaurants now they'll have the kitchen open to the to the view of the of the diners? Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that you become part of the preparation oh yeah i'm doing a uh, story uh i just got back from new orleans and uh did a um i'm doing a piece on wild american shrimp uh, because i used to work on a shrimp boat and know about this wild american shrimp as opposed to farm-raised shrimp okay and something like 95 percent of all shrimp uh, consumed in the u.s now is uh, farm-raised aquaculture but, you know, you go down to a place like Shim Creek, places mm-hmm. like that, you see a restaurant there. Everyone assumes that that seafood is coming off the uh, trawlers that come in there, but mm-hmm. uh, that ain't necessarily so. But anyway, uh, down there, and we had the uh, book unveiling at uh, one of my uh, favorite restaurants on Earth, uh, Commander's Palace. Mm-hmm. And for lunch one day, um, they have a you know, six-top table inside of their kitchen. Uh, they set us down there one day, and Tori McPhail, the, the chef there, did a uh, uh, the big 1620 uh, shrimp with the heads on and mm-hmm. the antenna and everything, did a shrimp and grits for us in there that just blew my mind. And that was the ultimate display uh, a kitchen. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's how, you know, it's how Food Network has altered the way we look at uh, uh, food. And one of the things with... Uh, with a book that I've learned, and pardon the pun, but people are hungry for the stories behind food. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, you know, I can write about politics all day, and I'll be sitting beside, I've, I've actually been on a plane with a politician the day after I've written a story, and no comment, no observation at all mm-hmm. about the story that, I, that was on the front page of the Charlotte Observer that day. However, I could write about grits or write about, you know, Asaba pigs or something like that, and I'll get 75 emails. And to me, I began to understand this dynamic about people and about um, the, the stories behind food and, the you know, it's, this is the way my grandma cooked it. One of my favorite uh, questions for um, um, uh, politicians is to, it gets them off uh, guard sometimes, is asking them, in their house growing up, who provided, who did the, the bulk of the, the cooking? Mm-hmm. You would think that it's usually the mom and stuff like that, but it gets them off, you know, particularly if it's a grandfather or an aunt, mm-hmm. my older sister, or something like that. And or in get, the case of the Lee brothers, the dad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, right. And get them talking about who, who provided the uh, uh, nurture, you know, mm-hmm. the food there. And and my thing is, uh, if you ask someone a uh, question about food and they don't have any stories, I probably don't want to write about them. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, you think about that. If somebody's not passionate about food, what are they passionate about? Ooh. <laughs> well, then you might not uh, do many interviews up there. Because <laughs> a lot of politicians don't want to, they don't want anybody to find anything out about them, you know? Right, right. Well, that's the trick. You know, you got to, you got to, they don't see that one coming because people, uh, they don't think of, a lot of people don't think of uh, food very seriously. I mean, I think about when I was coming up and as a young reporter, you know, uh, the best uh, 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 writers that I knew wrote about serious subjects, politics, you know, environment, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And that, you know, food writing was something off to the side. It was some sort of, you know, quasi-parallel, it was you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Fluff, yeah, filler. And then I started reading uh, pieces by someone like um, MFK Fisher, and uh, I just lost my mind. Mm-hmm. I just said, this is, this is not great food writing. This is great writing. Mm-hmm. And when you see uh, 
people that are writing at that level, uh, Calvin Trillin, uh, you know, mm-hmm. 30 years ago was writing about food when not many people were really thinking about it along those lines. Well, don't you think Julia Child had a lot to do with the popularization of Oh, certainly, certainly. Of and um, there was an English woman around that same time, Elizabeth David, uh, who did some fascinating stuff about Italian cuisine, mm-hmm. Provençal, whatnot. Okay. Dan, we're about to run out of time. Okay. Dan Huntley, author and columnist, thanks for being with us today on The Journal. My pleasure. This is Walter Edgar, and I hope you enjoyed today's journal. Dan Huntley is a longtime friend. We've known each other for years. Dan is a local boy, but he's willing to stretch the boundaries of barbecue as he and his co-author explored cooking over wood fires around the country. And he's come out with an interesting book called Extreme Barbecue, Smoking Rigs and Real Good Recipes. It's fascinating reading, especially the contraptions. This is Walter Edgar. Join me next week for more of The Journal. Walter Edgar's Journal is a production of South Carolina ETV Radio. The producer and engineer is Alfred Turner. Production of this program is made possible in part by listener contributions to the ETV Endowment of South Carolina. The views and opinions expressed on Walter Edgar's journal are not necessarily those of South Carolina ETV Radio.